And if you weren't here, I encourage you to either get a copy of that or, or listen to that online. And we talked about how Christ was born to serve and born to die. Well, generally we do the Christmas message on Sunday and you know don't really worry about it too much throughout the rest of the week here. But you know, with Wednesday here being before Christmas, I was looking into continuing in Joshua. And I thought, you know what, let's take a break here for a little bit, because there's so much you can talk about with Christmas. So I thought about going into Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, and, and I thought, no, I prayed about that, started preparing a message on that, in fact, started taking notes, and nope, that's not where I felt the Lord was, wanted us to go. And then I kind of said, well, you know, what about some stuff here in Luke? Now, the thing about Christmas messages is, if you've been coming to any type of church service or any type of years, you've heard the Christmas story presented in so many ways, in so many directions, and... You know it. We all know it. Even non-believers know the Christmas story. What I want to do here in Luke chapter 1 is I want to focus on the human side of it. Uh, dare I say, I don't want to focus on the birth of Jesus when it comes to Christmas, but I want to focus on the human side of it. We covered the birth of Jesus on Sunday. I want to focus on the human side. Because these characters and these stories that we're going to talk about, when you talk about Joseph and you talk about Mary and you talk about uh, Zacharias, these were human beings that had emotions like you and I, that had ups and downs, had good days and bad days. And how did they handle this type of stuff? How did they handle it? This is quite an event when you stop and think about it. When you really stop and look at it from a perspective, the way God decided to save the world was he had a baby born to a virgin girl that was probably in her mid-teens, if that, over in a stable over in Israel. That's how God decided to save the world. And if that's not a little strange, I don't know what is. That is interesting. And these people involved with this were people that God raised up to use. And they were people that had faults. They were people that had ups and downs, good days and bad days. And what you see here right now with the way Mary responded and the way Zacharias responded is they both were given amazing prophecies by an angel. Each one responded a different way. So, let's take a look at this. And let's look at... Mary first. So Luke chapter 1, let's start in verse 26. We know these passages. It says, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Now we've heard that before. Now put it from this perspective, though. Mary, like I said, we don't know for sure, had to be probably at least a teenager, maybe mid-teens. This is a young gal. Young guy. Now, if you know, if you have any loved ones, maybe you have kids, maybe you have nieces, nephews, grandkids, I don't know, that maybe as a young gal in her mid-teens... Put her in this perspective. She's just sitting there doing whatever they did 2,000 years ago. An angel appears. An angel appears out of nowhere and says, you're going to have a kid. And you're not even just going to have a kid. You're going to have a kid that's the Messiah. Now, if you don't think that's a little overwhelming, 
Because every time we see this presented in Hollywood, Mary seems so calm, cool, collect. I don't think she was calm, cool, collect at all. Look at the wording here that's described about this. Let's go ahead and, and take a look at some of the words right here. Verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled. That word literally means troubled greatly or agitated greatly. And what did the angel say next? Verse 30, do not be afraid. You've heard us say this out here before. If the angel says do not be afraid, why would the angel say that? Because Mary was obviously afraid. She's troubled greatly. She's agitated greatly. That's what the word literally means. And she's also battling fear. Why? Because she is a teenage girl that was visited by an angel who's a virgin that's going to have a baby that's the Messiah. If that's not a lot for somebody to handle, I don't know what is. So how does this relate to us? Sometimes you can be in the middle of God's will, in the middle of God's plan. You can be doing everything right, right where God wants you, and you're still in the middle of a storm. The verse that I thought of was in 1 Corinthians, and if you, it's 1 Corinthians 14, 33. It says, "For our God is not a God of confusion. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm not trying to add to the Bible. I'm willing to bet there was a little bit of confusion in Mary's life at this point. And she was perfectly in God's plan. And, and maybe you've had some areas in your life, or maybe even right now, you're in an area of just confusion. You're agitated greatly. You're troubled greatly. And you're afraid. And you're thinking, what am I doing wrong? And do you ever think that maybe you're not doing anything wrong? You're exactly where God wants you to be. That's exactly where Mary was. She had one of the greatest callings of any person on their life. And that's exactly what God wanted from her. But yet, it's still a little overwhelming, isn't it? I can remember there's been two instances in my life where I was exactly in God's will, but I was really confused. I, I can remember uh, 10 years ago when everything happened out here and there, and uh, you know Jim stepped down and, and I w was coming out possibly. There was just a lot of confusion. Confusion of God, where do you want us to be? Where am I called to do this? Lord, what's going on as a church? What's the next step? There was a lot of confusion, but now looking back a decade later, that's also right where God wanted us to be. Now, in the middle of it, it sure didn't seem that way. I can remember back six years ago when Dawn and I were trying to have kids, and instead of having kids, we just kept having miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. And I can sit there thinking, okay, that was a really confusing state of, Lord, what are we doing wrong? Lord, why, why is this not working? There was fear. We were troubled greatly. We were agitated greatly. But now looking back six years later, it was exactly what God wanted us to be going through at that time. Some of you came in here tonight, and you're afraid, you're troubled greatly, you're agitated greatly, and you're, you're scared. But you're also right where God wants you to be. Because God's not a God of confusion. With Mary, you have to look at it from the human side of this. What was going through her mind? What was going through her mind? Gals, imagine being that young, never being with a man, and all of a sudden now you're pregnant. And not just pregnant, you're pregnant with God. That, that is a pretty big load to carry. Hence her response in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. How can this be? I've never been with a man. How can this be? We're going to come back to that one. Because now we need to talk about Zacharias a little bit. Zacharias is a different ball game. Zacharias was a man that was much older. He was much older in his age. Jump back to verse 5. It says, there were in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Of the division of Abijah, he was with of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
That's his wife, is Elizabeth. We already talked about her. She's the one that's pregnant with John the Baptist from verse 36. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of the division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Now you have to know a little bit of Jewish background on this. This is a big deal. See, when it says right here that his lot fell to burn incense and everybody waits, the way this was set up back then is, is one person got to do this. And it was a great privilege and it was a great honor. I mean, it, it literally would be, of his priestly career, this would be the highlight of everything. This would be the number one thing. It all built up to this. After this... It's not that everything is a little downhill because you get to serve the Lord. But after this, this is it. This is what he gets to do. This is the end of it all. So it's a pretty big deal. And everybody sits outside waiting. Verse 10, this is the way it works. He gets to go in. He gets to light the incense. He gets to be the one to represent Israel and the priesthood before God on this day. It's big. So everybody's outside waiting. What happens to him? Verse 11, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Talk about not being prepared already. That's not what he was thinking. That's not what he was preparing for. It's not what he was waiting for. Imagine being at work. It's finally the biggest day of your career. You're ready to present that big idea before the boss. You're in the room preparing, going over your notes. An angel appears. You're not ready for that. What's Zacharias' response? Verse 12, And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. This word trouble is different than the word to describe Mary. This word trouble means to take away calmness, commotion. He was shaking. I mean, this guy was just at wit's end. Mary, was she was bothered. This guy, this rattled him. This rattled him immensely. And what's the next word there? Fear fell upon him. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God who is sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which were fulfilled by their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived they had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them, and he remained speechless. People outside are saying, come on, old man, hurry up. You know, we know this is your big event. We know this is your big day in the sun, but come on. It doesn't take that long to light the incense. Let's move on. Now, Zacharias had a pretty big thing here. Now, this is where we kind of get to the point of the message. What's the difference between Zacharias and what's the difference between Mary? Angel appears to both of them. Both of them are given an amazing birth story. Both of them are reached at a time when they probably really weren't expecting it. Both of them were troubled when the angel came. Both of them were afraid. Mary asked how in verse 34, and Zacharias in verse 18 asks how also. 
But yet, Mary gets a pat on the back. Zacharias is told to shut up. What's the difference? I find this very interesting here. I find this interesting. Because I look at Zacharias, and when I first read through this, I thought, he, he just asked how. Mary just asked how. Come on, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody maybe worded things a little wrong, you know, or something like that. I had one that popped up this week. Um, actually, I've had, I've had two emails here out here that I really screwed something up here in the last couple of years, I should say in the last 10 years. Uh, just recently, I emailed something to uh, Renee, and I ended it with saying something like, um, oh, what, how did I end it, Renee? Something like, uh, you're a blessing, my friend. And I forgot the R in friend. So what did I say? You're a blessing, my fiend. Um, <laughs> Renee got the point. Uh, I screwed it up. I, I, he said something about, well, I hope you didn't mean fiend. Yes, I meant friend. I, I remember years ago when Bonnie Krager was still taking care of Calvary Distribution, I sent her an email that said, uh, thanks for the message, because she left me a message about something, but I misspelled it, so spell check corrected it for me, and it said, thanks for the massage. And that one was a little awkward, too, with Bonnie. But the point is, you have something some days where just it doesn't click, it doesn't go right, what, what, the wording here, Zechariah says how, and, and, and Mary says how. What's the difference? Well, when you look at this, there are actually two different Greek words. Two totally different words. Well, Zechariah's word is, is how. I mean, come on, how can this be? I, I'm old. I, I, this can't happen. How can this be? Mary's word for how is a totally different word. It actually carries a definition, and this is what it literally means. It means to seek info, desiring to be taught. See, when she says how, she's not questioning. She's saying, I want information and teach me on how this can be. And what way is this possible? It's a totally different word there. What's the point of this? The point of this is this right here. You're going to face confusing situations in life. You're going to face situations that are overwhelming. You're going to face situations that trouble you greatly. You're going to face situations that make you afraid. You're going to face situations that are going to make you shake in your boots and be rattled just like Zacharias. Now the question comes up is, how do you respond to that? Do you do Mary, where you say, Lord, I'm seeking information on how you're going to use this. How is this going to help me? How is this going to take me deeper? Teach me in this situation. Or are you pulling a Zacharias of saying, come on, God, enough, impossible, how can this be? See, God basically is telling Zacharias here through Gabriel, you know what, you don't believe me? Well, then don't talk about it. You're not going to speak. Mary is saying, teach me, Lord. I'm desiring info here. How can this be since I'm a virgin? So when you see Christmas here, you have to look at it from the human perspective. Thousands of years later, we look at these people, and I think we have elevated them almost to the point of uh, non-human status. No, these are human beings just like you and I. Good days, bad days, fears, troubles, greatly bothered, concerned. How do you respond to that? Well, you see with Zacharias, you have the how of, how can this be? I don't believe it. You have Mary of, Lord, teach me. So for you that are going through a difficult time right now, which how are you in? Lord, teach me through this. Lord, use this situation to further me and my walk and my witness. I want to be the Mary side of it. Or are you the Zacharias? Lord, how can you allow this to happen? How can this be? How can you... You're the whining side of it. The unbelief side of it. Which one are we? 
Now, before we move on, let's take a quick stop here real quick. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments here about anything thus far with Mary or with uh, Zacharias, too? Yeah, John. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it also comes to, too, how many times do we seek the Lord in prayer, but we don't seek the Lord in faith? I think it was J. Vernon McGee that said, um, how did he word it? Prayer loads the gun, but faith pulls the trigger. And, and it's kind of a neat analogy there, because how many times do we do this where it's like, oh, Lord, got a big day tomorrow. Give me strength. Give me wisdom. Lord, give me help to get through this. And really, it's like, oh, Lord, it's going to be a horrible day. It's going to be a bad day. But wait a second. Do you not believe that the Lord can also give you strength and wisdom and get you through the day? I don't know how many times I've talked to people on the phone where they said, and they'll, they'll open up their heart, we're talking, and I'll end with, you know what? Do you care if we pray about this? Oh, we can go ahead and pray about it, but nothing's going to change. Well, then what's the point of praying? Uh, you, you can go ahead and give it over to the Lord, but I know what's going to happen. No, we don't know what's going to happen. See, this is where we have to trust the bigger picture here that's going on. Zacharias and Mary were visited by an angel to tell them they're going to have an amazing birth. That's pretty amazing in itself. That, to me, shows the way God works can be very unique and very interesting. I was just having a conversation with uh, Dawn today, and there was a decision that we were trying to make, and, and my wife is very just cut and dry, black and white on things. And so she takes everything and she sums it up to it's A or B, A or B. And so we were talking this afternoon, and she says, well, what are we going to do? She goes, our options are this or that. And it's like, I'm always like, no, there's another option. There's a C option. You never know what the Lord's going to do. Let's just pray and seek the Lord over this and see what happens. If you had gone back in time and said, okay, Lord, how are you going to save the world from sin? Well, I'm going to pick some teenage girl. I'm going to send an angel to her and tell her she's going to have a baby and she's never been with a man. That's a strange, strange way for the Lord to take care of this issue. And, and how are you going to raise up, according to Jesus, think about this, John the Baptist, according to Christ, and I trust Christ, John the Baptist was the greatest man born ever of a woman. That is a pretty good title to put on your resume. No one can top that. So the way John the Baptist comes into the scene is there's an old man and woman who's never had kids, and now they're going to have all of a sudden an amazing birth. That's how God decides to step this thing going. So it's not in the Bible but that phrase we throw around all the time, well, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Sometimes you really need to stop and say, okay, God, you're not working this way out the way I thought you were, the way I want you to, or the way I think you should, but I'm still going to trust you because that's the way you move. And to not trust him means you're pulling a Zacharias. How, Lord? A questioning how. You're not doing the Mary of, Lord, teach me. Show me the path so I can walk in it. We can learn a lot from these two people here. Anybody else have any quick questions, comments before we move on here with, with the next example? Yeah, Rose. Well, Mary was just the opposite, you know, like he's wise and church wise in the world. Mm -hmm. She had to have very strong faith. And, you know, a lot of times we say, like, the younger you are, you know, children believe about everything you, you tell them. You, mm -hmm. know, you tell them this or that happens. Oh, okay. Yeah. They just take it. But Mary was had the child's faith, but she had to have a tremendous uh, background in her family that's true it goes back to that childlike faith and you know the thing is sometimes we think um, the longer we walk in this world the wiser we get you know sometimes you know what just trust you know trust and obey it always goes back to that song Mary didn't question and that's mind-blowing to me I mean it's mind-blowing to me when, when you really stop and look at it, she didn't question she asked 
in what way, how are you going to do this, but not a, Lord, how? What are you doing here? Reminds me of, remember when Abraham and Sarah, when the angels visited and said, you're going to have a kid. Sarah's response was laughter. But how many times do we do that in the Lord? How many times do we do that? I, I, I can remember one time someone calling me up. Oh, it's been years ago. And somebody we'd been praying for for a long time to get saved. And they called me up and said, do you hear what happened to so-and-so? And I said, what? They said, they got saved. I said, no, they didn't. <laughs> no, they can't get saved. That's impossible. Do you realize there's some people sitting in this room tonight that people thought would never, ever get saved? That's what God does. He works things and does things and moves things. So for, for people that came in tonight and you're battling a situation where you think there is no answer, it's just a dead situation, you know, you got it down to A or B, it's either going to be this or that, I'm telling you there's an option C, God still moves, God still works, and you may not even know it or see it. And part of the Christmas story is if God decides to save the world through a virgin birth in a stable, hey, why not? I think it was Javern McGee again that said, you know what, people question the virgin birth now. He says Mary was the first one to question the virgin birth. The virgin that had the birth was the first one to say, okay, can you just explain this a little bit more because this is kind of an interesting statement here. So it's a really strange way. It's a really strange way, but that's the way God works. Yeah, Tina. Yeah, and, that, and that's a valid point too, is Nazareth was, I, I, who was it? Oh, one of the disciples said, has anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, yeah, Nazareth was the wrong side of the tracks. You know, like I said, the disciples themselves said, has anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, that's where God decided to bring the person out to do this. It's just, it's a fascinating thing of God working and moving behind the scenes when you don't even realize it. Beautiful thing. Yeah, Carly. Yeah. Humble beginnings. And humble beginnings um, are a great way to start because that's the way the Lord became one of us as he humbled himself and became a man. Well, yeah, Kathy. Uh, Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Yeah, yeah I believe that. It's Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. All right, anybody else have anything? Okay, one last person to talk about here, Matthew chapter 1. Let's talk about Joseph. Isn't it always kind of interesting the way Joseph is presented? Joseph is always presented as, first off, he's a really nice trim beard. I give Joseph credit for that, for he looks good. And he usually looks like he's a good-looking guy, probably in his mid-30s or something like that, maybe early 40s, no gray yet. And that's the way Joseph is presented. Now, we don't know a lot about Joseph for, for playing such a key role. For you out here that is maybe involved in some type of mixed family, Joseph is your guy to look at. He's stepdad to Jesus. What an interesting role here. So Joseph, we know, the little bit we know about Joseph, Joseph was a good guy. He was a good guy. He has a real brief role at the beginning, 
And most commentators believe that by the time Jesus went to the cross, that Joseph had, had probably died because he's not around, he's not mentioned, and which is not totally strange to think about it. Jesus died when he was 33. And so it's quite possible by life expectancy back at that time that Joseph had, had passed on. You know, it seemed like Jesus had moved up to be the head of that family, and that's why on the cross, you know, he told somebody, hey, take care of Mary, take care of my mom right there. So what about Joseph here? Verse 18 of Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with the child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. See, he's a good guy. Think about this from Joseph's perspective. How, first off, how did Joseph find out that Mary was pregnant? That's kind of an interesting thing. And note Joseph here, being a just man, put her away secretly. Joseph could have stirred the hornet's nest on this pretty bad. Boy, he could have stirred the hornet's nest. Because back during Bible times, if Mary and Joseph were betrothed like this, that is, it's a different idea than what we have today. When someone is engaged... And I'm not trying to pick on anybody here, but I know people that they get engaged. Okay, well, first question you ask is, when you're engaged, when's the wedding? Oh, we don't know. We're thinking maybe six, seven years down the road. That, that's not engaged. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to pick here, and I'm, I'm, I'm digressing. Back during Bible times, when they were betrothed, engaged, it carried a lot more weight. Basically, they were together, they were ready to be married, they had not consummated the marriage, but that was just the next step. So, they were together here. He really could have made a fuss about this. Instead, verse 19, I'm just, I'm just, gonna, I'm just stepping back. I'm just going to let it go. But yet, he let it go. But note verse 20, but while he thought about these things, he let it go, but he didn't let it go in his heart. Now, how many of you are faced with a very difficult situation? I'm just done with it. Yeah, you say you're done with it. Your heart's not done with it. I'm just not going to worry about them anymore. Oh, yeah, right. You're worrying about them. I'm just not going to get involved with that anymore. That's not true. You're going to get involved with that. This is Joseph. I, personal opinion, take it or leave it, be careful when I say personal opinion. I think Joseph was a quiet guy. If I remember correctly, there's not a single recorded word of Joseph in the Bible. We know he was a good guy. Verse 19. I think Joseph was the type of guy... I don't want to fight about it. Wives, are you married to somebody like that? I just don't want to talk about it. I don't want to have an issue about it. Let's just, let's just let it go. I think that's Joseph. Didn't make a big deal about things, and he was just going to let it go. See, it's kind of interesting. You have Mary, that when she's faced with a very difficult situation, she's, Lord, teach me, show me, what's the next step? You have Zacharias, when faced with a very difficult situation, Lord, it can't happen. Joseph, when faced with a difficult situation, says, I don't want to deal with it. See, we want to be the Mary. A lot of us are the Zacharias, but a lot of us are also Joseph. You're just going to go bury your head in the sand and pretend that the world is not falling apart around you. That doesn't work. Verse 20. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Once again, why does it say do not be afraid? Because he probably was afraid. To take you, take you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now just stop for a second. You want to talk about a man of faith. That's a pretty big statement to believe. Okay, the gal that I'm betrothed with, who is now pregnant, is pregnant with God's son? Verse 21. 
and he will bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took him to his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I'm telling you, Joseph was quite the guy. He really was. You have Mary that says, Lord, show me, teach me. What's the next step? I'm scared, I'm afraid, I'm agitated, but I want to know what you want me to do. You have Zacharias that's scared, afraid, rattled. Lord, it can't happen. You have Joseph that wants to stick his head in the sand and just let it disappear. I don't know which group you're in right now, but I'm willing to bet that some of you are falling into that category somewhere along the line when it comes to this. And really, doesn't it really come down to of what Jesus told us numerous, numerous times again and again and again. Don't worry. Just don't worry. If I want to use an angel to announce the coming Messiah, if I want to bring the Savior into the world through a manger and a virgin, that's my prerogative. So therefore, God, if you want to work this area out in my life this way, I just got to trust you. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more it comes down to me as you just got to trust Him. And I think Christmas is a great example of just trusting God when, let's be honest, it makes no sense at all. You going through a difficult time tonight, you just got to trust Him. Yeah, it doesn't make sense right now. It's not clear. There's agitation. There's rattle. There's confusion. There's fear. There's dread. You're afraid. Well, 1 Corinthians 14.33 God is not the author of confusion. 1 Timothy 1.7, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Philippians 4 and 6, be anxious for nothing. God says, Mary, Zacharias, and Joseph, you've got to trust me. He says the same thing to us today. So as you get ready to go through Christmas here in the next couple of days, and you start thinking about these things, virgin births and angels and mangers and stables... Man, those are real people going through real trials that really had to stop and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you on what you're doing. And the same thing happens to us today, 2,000 years later. Do we trust God even though when we don't see the full picture? That's what we have to think about when it comes to Christmas. And we have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up the word of prayer? Rose. Yeah. Right. It was it was the real deal. Yes. Right. You know, and that's the thing is because even after the, Jesus is born, there's that great passage where Mary says, like you said, she pondered these things and kept all these things in her heart. 
Okay, now you have to look at the perspective here. First off, here's a young teenage girl that just had a baby. And we talked about this Sunday. She had a baby in a manger with Joseph. A difficult time, to say the least. And then after having a baby, these scruffy, you know, uh, shepherds show up. <laughs> okay, you know, I, I once again, I remember when we had our kids, I don't think Dawn was ready for visitors, you know, for a while there. These shepherds show up, and next thing you know, they're worshiping the baby. That's why Mary says she kept these things in her heart. Some of you right now going through something, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. You can't wrap your head around it. You're, you're in the same spot Mary was. You just got to keep these things in your heart here and say, okay, Lord, I, I, this is not making sense to me right now, but I know I just trust you. Boy, that's tough for Mary. But she just trusted the Lord, and eventually she found out. 33 years later, she got the full picture of everything. Anybody else got any final things they want to say before we close up? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for Christmas, Lord. Thank you for just the Savior of the sins. Um, thank you, Lord, for that. And Lord, help us to learn from these people. Lord, help us just to trust like Mary did and just say, Lord, teach me. Teach me during these trials, Lord. Lord, help us not to be like Zacharias and just question. And Lord, help us not to be like Joseph. Just forget it. Lord, help us to learn and go deeper and grow in you. And thank you, Lord, for your love, grace, and mercy. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Once again, Merry Christmas. Don't forget Christmas Eve service on Friday. And if I don't see you again beforehand, Merry Christmas to all of you.